If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Nurse Wellness Podcast, hosted by Wendy Garvin Mayo, focuses on the power of stress management and how it's foundational to being your best, doing your best, and giving your best. There's a wonderful episode that you should check out called Letting Go, where Wendy Garvin Mayo shares six strategies to release control and manage stress effectively. Check out Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Iowa Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 104 of the podcast. If you're a new listener, I want to welcome you. Iowa Health is your place for a trusted health guidance and resource. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and experience together on the planet. And if you love the thoughtful and informative content you get here, maybe it's time to consider becoming a health amplifier. You can support this community over at patreon.com forward slash highway to health. And every dollar that you give uh, goes towards the development of resource toward a more integrative approach to care. Thanks for all your support. My guest for today's show is Dr. Cecily Havert. And she's here to talk with me about treating vulnerable populations and the physical and emotional and mental health challenges that we find with them. While we get into the specific challenges of the LGBTQ community, I think it's important to consider the lack of attention of care and relationship building in many situations missing in how we treat women, uh, Black Americans, Latinx, and a number of ethnic minorities in this country. Some very important considerations for us all here as we consider building a care team for ourselves and how these relationships are critical to our health and sense of well-being. Here's my conversation with Dr. Cecily Havert. I tried doing a little bit of research on you. I didn't find find a whole lot out there. Um, where are you right now for with your practice? I mean, where in terms of location? Location, yeah. Yeah, location. So I'm in the Washington D.C. area, okay. but I practice uh, just outside um, D.C. in Alexandria, Virginia. Okay, yeah, my my aunt's out in Reston, so I know it pretty well. Okay, yeah, yeah a little bit further out. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And 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 um, so so. We're going to get it, kind of get into talking about the very specific work that you've gotten into. But where, where did you start as far as medicine and, and, and treating people is concerned? So I did my medical school training in Milwaukee, actually. Oh, you so did? I went to okay. Medical, yeah, medical college. I'm actually from the Midwest. I grew uh, up in Minnesota. I'm in Minneapolis. You're in Minneapolis right now? Yes, this is where this you is. You are kidding me. I also, are, you born, are you born and raised in Minnesota? I am. Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right. So but yes, I, so I was born and raised in, in Minneapolis. I actually lived near Lake Nokomis. And I live right by Lake Harriet. So Okay. So we're like <laughs> we're like neighbors. We are neighbors. Yeah. And then when I was in high school, my parents we moved out to Bloomington. So okay. I went to Thomas Jefferson. Gotcha. Yep. Um of Jefferson Jaguar. And so I was out there. And then I went to Madison. Okay. for my undergrad. And so I was the black sheep of the family because everyone, everybody else went to the U of M, including yep. both my parents and my brother. My son's just about to go, actually. He's going to Madison? He's, going, he's, he's going to the U of M, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I so then I went, to, I went to Madison. I was there for five years and then I did medical school in Milwaukee. And so I lived there for four. Okay. And actually I met my husband um, in Madison. He was a um, graduate student when I was an undergrad. Okay. And then we continued, we 
stayed together through med school, and he was a postdoctoral fellow out at NIH at the time that I was looking at residency. So then we just, I ended up just doing my training out here. Okay. We did my training in Fairfax, and then I just never left. He just kind of started to put down roots. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and so I've worked at, um, actually the year after residency, I sort of, instead of just jumping back into the, you know, the, you know, being a cog in the wheel of treating patients and everything, I really wanted to take a step back and learn a little bit more. And so I did a um, kind of a, a self-created fellowship in health policy. I figured since I was uh. living in the DC area. So I went and I, I reached out and I found a um, nonprofit organization that does a lot of work in um, women's health. Oh, okay. The transla- basically translating medical information into dialogues and narratives that can be understood a little bit easier, which is kind of what doctors do anyway. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of our job is to, yeah. is to translate all that, that complicated information into understandable narrative. Yeah. And so, um, so it was a nonprofit that did that. And then I also did some work in a reproductive health um, clinic, a women's health clinic. And oh, so okay. I did a lot of, um, oh, you know, it was great just to, um, you know, work with that population. And then I decided, um, you know, I'd gotten um, some, you know, extra interests that I have. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to bring that into my practice where I, what I currently do. And so I've been pra- in private practice. This is my, let's say I worked at Springfield Family Medicine, then I moved to General Internal Medicine, and now I'm at Northern, Virgi- Northern Virginia Family Medicine. So private practice. Okay. And urgent care along the way too, or is mostly just private primary no, urgent care? care? No, I it, it, I'm family medicine, so yeah. trained in family medicine. So I've really, um, what I really enjoy about that is the is the relationship yeah. and the continuity of care aspect. Yeah, and so I've I've enjoyed that. Yeah, me, that, me, that me too, me too. I mean, yeah. I I'm not I'm not a, a doctor. I've I started out working as a as a manual therapist. Um, and then got into doing functional movement work with people. So teaching, teaching movement, doing postural correction work, recovery from surgeries and injuries and stuff. Also along the way was, was starting to practice craniosacral therapy, which is now becoming a much bigger, uh, people are are starting to understand how to use it for a lot, a lot of different things. And I'm getting a lot more collaborative work with, I do everything, you know, work with dentists and therapists and, you know, just you, you name it, actually, a lot of orthopedic issues and a lot of trauma. And so the, it's, it's been great work for me. And, and I was out in New York, actually. I started a, a center in, in Brooklyn, New York for um, I was there for 13 years, but I've been going back to treat people because I was I had same as you. I had developed all these relationships and I started treating yeah. newborns. About 15 years ago, I do torticollis. Yep, I do. I do a lot of feeding challenges Mm. and you know, GI stuff, and just you know, birth trauma in general. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a traumatic experience for everybody. Everybody involved, including the one being born. Right, and 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 I think the the parents often forget that you know that the baby just went through a tough experience too. So, but I but but I love it's it's actually the one point in which I kind of start to work with an entire family, and sometimes there's like an you know a parent grandparent care giver in the process too. So I end up with like multi-generations and families and I, and I love it. It's like being kind of an old family doctor. I'm doing more preventative and, and kind of maintenance work with people, but it's, but it, I, I, you know, that's part of the reason I continue to go back there is because I have these long relationships. That's great. That's yeah. great. What were you doing out in Brooklyn? Did you do some training out there? I or? just moved, uh, be, I, I just got Why? moved to go there. I, I, I went in 2000 and, um, I had some good friends there, really liked the sort of neighborhoody 
feel. I, I was kind of missing that a little bit in Minneapolis at the time. And um, I, that was just, I just was totally drawn to it. I, I never really wanted to live in Manhattan. Just, it was Brooklyn that I kind of got. It was Brooklyn, yeah. So I, that's. The, like, yeah, I was going to say, but you're like the typical Minnesotan. You left and you came back. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody does. I'm like, you know, everyone's like. Like a sea turtle or something. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know. Like I left in, I, yeah, when did I leave in 97? I guess was when I, last time yeah. I lived in Minnesota. So yeah. in a while. Yeah. So, so. So it makes sense. I mean, I, I can kind of see now the transition of, of your work and, and, and women's health issues are still, you know, one of those things that are not getting enough attention. So I assume that's been a, a big part of your career then. It has been. I think that what what I've realized is that I really enjoy working with vulnerable populations mm-hmm. and, and, and people populations, communities that don't necessarily, um, either there's a disparity in care or they don't have a voice, either that they don't feel that they have one or they haven't been given one, yeah. uh, whatever that case is. And I think that's what's drawn me to that. So yeah. I, you know, so the women's health, I mean, I still treat the whole family. I treat, I still treat, you know, kids, um, do geriatrics, but I think that I really, really enjoy um, working, uh, you know, kind of reproductive age women and actually adolescents. Adolescents are a lot, yeah. um, they're, they're challenging, but they're a lot of fun. And I think there's, there's so much that you can do and offer and just that extra support and just being a safe place for them to rec- you know, to realize that. Cause a lot of times they don't, there's not a whole lot of safe places for them. So. I agreed. It's, it's something I've gotten to do a lot more of, especially this last year, for some reason, I, a lot of kind of tween to early teen time there's like there's a lot of stuff going on with stress and anxiety and just kind of growing growing into their bodies and and even sort of you know identity issues around that too so i i know i completely agree and just yeah again just offering that that safe space and you know and i think also what what i find um you know very uh just i guess i'm just honored that you know when when other when people feel safe and they feel that they can refer their friends or their other family members. Yeah. So it's so the community has, you know, sort of grown also by word of mouth. And yeah. So that's that's important too. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 is, is this kind of what led you into doing more work with the challenges that are going on with the LGBTQ population? I think so. I think it's a sort of a, a you know kind of a natural progression. Just again, just just the, the vulnerable populations and just just finding that uh, you know when I when I worked. It's not like I necessarily sought it out. You know, yeah. you just work, and then you you have members of the community um, you seek you for medical care. Yeah. Just, you know, and then you just you develop you know a relationship with them, and then you sort of realize, and, and they're so thankful. Yeah. That you're like, wow, this is, you're the first person that that's asked me that, or you're yeah. the first person that um, that I felt that I could tell, and it's yeah. just you know, and so that I really realized, like, wow, that's. It, that's really important to, you know, to be that person. And, yeah. you know, there's, there probably should be more of us. And yeah. so just, so that to me, gay, it sort of became a calling and, and a reason. And it's not to say I don't only work with um, the LGBTQ community and, you know, I have a lot of men, you know, cis males, yeah. <laughs> you know, in my, in my, you know, practice too, I'd say actually the majority of them are. Um, and, but, you know, but it is, it is nice also to, 
to be able to um, offer a little something different to different community. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's interesting. It's, it's the one thing, it's for, same with me. I mean, and I do a lot of coordinating work with therapists and I have a specific therapist that I do a lot of work with that that community and and a lot of it just comes down to you being you know and this is the way I treat in general is that I want to I want to understand this person's whole experience mm-hmm. you know if I'm going to work with them if I'm going to work with whatever challenges they are because my work is this very crossover between a lot of times I'm seeing people for both chronic pain issues but yeah. also something that's you know more along the lines of anxiety and depression and so, and, and that crossroads is where a lot of these, you know, other medical conditions start to flare up, eczema and, you know, histamine issues and food sensitivities and all these things are at this kind of crossroads of that, that you know, sympathetic fight or flight response. Absolutely. That no, they've been, stress is a major yeah, yeah. <laughs> contributor to, um, you know, to, to illness and just, you know, mental health and physical health. It's really... Yeah. So, so, so what has been your focus then? Is there, is there anything like really specific that you like to treat or that you populations you like to work with conditions you like to work with? Well, I, I do work. I mean, I think just, it, just the path that I've led down the populations that I, that I enjoy working with and that, um, that I work with a lot. I, I do a lot of mental health. I okay. think that that it sort of led me. It's <laughs> just because the mental health care needs tend to be higher yeah. in the, in these communities. So yeah. I have uh, incorporated a lot of mental health work. Um, I It's been great. I'm just living in this area for so long. I've been able to connect with a lot of therapists, psychiatrists, uh, you know, just a lot of different resources. And we're really lucky in the, in the D.C. area to have access to a lot of good resources. That being said, it's still hard to access them. Right. right. Whether right. it's, you know, and especially during this last year with COVID and, you know, mental health. I mean, it's just it's so hard to find to find a good therapist and then yeah. also be able to afford therapists. Yeah. Sadly, that's you know, that that's a limitation for a lot of people. So and also with primary care, we're sort of the entry point right. to for for mental health, too. And I've sort of you know recognized that. And again, providing a safe place for people to talk about these issues. And so I do a lot of you know, entry level, people come to me, anxiety, depression, just, you know, just pretty much anything you could think of. And I work to try to get them into a good, a good stable, you know, therapist, if that's what we need or whatever, whatever, you know, support they need. Yeah. So, so in, in, in relation to the, the LGBTQ community, what are the, what are the biggest challenges that you see in terms of, in terms of access to care or in terms of the challenges they have health wise? So I think one of the big issues with access is just fear to actually seek care. Okay. Um, fear of um, homophobia, um, not knowing that the you know the doctor's office or the doctor or provider that they're walking into is um, is open, is affirming. Uh, you know, it's it's scary. It's a, that's you know they they live that fear and that vulnerability in a lot of different areas of their life. Yeah. But I think going and seeing the doctor is a very it's even a more heightened vulnerable experience. Yeah. You know, and so it's it's scary. So I think that. Just, just seeking the care, I think, it is 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 an issue. Um, and then the, you know, I think, you know, the they tend the this community 
unfortunately does have a, and I think I've alluded to this already, do have a lot of mental health issues. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very, it's, it's complex. And so uh, that's, that's something that, that I find that, that I'm, I'm treating quite a bit. And, and how, how, how do you how do you address something like that when when you when you sense that, you know, someone coming in or, or are they able to express that to you or is it something that you have to kind of help them understand? What's yeah, going that's on? a great question. I mean, so, you know, and so a lot of times, I mean, I think it is just asking the right questions. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that primary care doctors either don't have time to do or yeah. maybe they don't want to incorporate that. They're afraid of you know some of the answers or, or even if they do ask those questions, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Uh, you know, wh- where do you have the resources to even, you know, to offer the, the care that, that they need? So, uh, you know, I do, uh, you know, safety assessments. That's, that's something that that's really, oh, yeah, really important. Yeah. So yeah. and, you know, and it's not, you know, it's, it's pretty much for anybody who comes in, in, into the office. Yeah. You feel safe at home just trying to screen for, um, you know, something that might be amiss. And also just it also gives them the, you know, the, the invitation that this, this is a, you know, this is somebody that I can talk to. This, this yeah. is a safe place. I can, I can talk about these things. I, I think it's also important to, you know, especially with working with adolescents or any, really anybody yeah. is to um, confidentiality mm-hmm. is also something to be very upfront about and mentioning that this is, yeah, this is a conversation sure. between you and I. So, and a lot of times just making sure that what, once you introduce that or is know that that's the you know that that's the format of which we're working a lot of times people do relax a little bit in because they just oh are you going to tell my mom or right you know or where are you going to are you going to call my partner or or whatever the situation is yeah. and um you know and it's, it's so, so that that's helpful in bringing out conversations yeah but i think a lot of it is is just asking uh the right questions and we do have regular screening uh, that that we use, you know, the PHQ nine for this is at, at every not at every visit, but at the you know at, at physicals. Or if I get a sense that something's you know not right, then yeah. then we'll just do an assessment. Yeah, and so that's that's helpful. And sometimes yeah. people come in and they don't necessarily even recognize that what they're experiencing is anxiety or depression. I mean, you it's probably so run into so that a lot too. You know, the the, the infamous you know the um, the, you know, the somatic complaints, the, yeah. you know, when the body is screaming, there's something wrong, but yeah. you're not, you, when you're not listening to your brain, so then the body starts to get, <laughs> you know, pain well, involved yeah. or whatever situation or whatever it is. I see so much of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the, the nice thing with my, I mean, I usually have somebody who's pre-screened, you know, so in a way mm-hmm. they, I mean, it's either a, another doctor that I'm working with or a therapist that I'm working with who identifies a lot of the physical stuff going on. And they've, they've already probably identified some other stuff going on or they wouldn't be working with this other you know, doctor or therapist. So it's a little easier for me, but even so, I think sometimes it needs to be reiterated because I think people don't realize how much that somato, you know, emotional experience gets stuck mm-hmm. in the body and, and, and just in the way that it, that it works in the first place. And, yeah, and, and, yeah. Re, and responds, you know, so if it's, if it's become a system and this is like a very important thing for people to understand is that if it, the, the body loves, the nervous system loves to work in these patterns. And so it becomes sort of programmed as a response in the system. 
And then, you know, th- th- that is part of what this pain response is. So it's grown over time in response, right? And that it kind of has to leave in the same kind of way. It's not, it's not, a, it's not anything that's going to be a quick fix. And, and for that reason, I'm sure that's, you know, when it gets very extreme is when we need to use a medication or we need psychiatric mm-hmm. sort of, you know, Im- you know some, some input that way. But there still needs to be these other parts to kind of help balance that. So, so, so you have kind of a team of people that you've been then working with with these kinds of things. I do. I mean, or refers. Yes. Yeah. It, it depends on what it is. You know, it's. Um, you know, I think. Uh, you know, just speaking of somatic complaints or you know physical complaints that go along with with um, with anxiety, for instance, um, irritable bowel. Syndrome. I don't yeah. know if that's anything that 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 you work with, but oh, they yeah. say you know it's um, we're we're finding now that the gut is you know considered our second brain. <laughs> yeah, I just did a podcast on it, so it'll be. Uh, oh, did good, you good, really? Yeah, good, no, good I preview. mean it really is. Yeah, no, and it's just you know the, the the amount of serotonin, you know, the serotonin receptors in the gut are yeah. you know, there's probably more serotonin receptors in the gut than there are in the brain. So. Yeah. So that's that's something, and so there's a therapist that I work with that actually uses hypnosis yeah. to help um, manage IBS, which has been you know fantastic. I think that it's and everybody, you know, it it you really have to figure out what headspace the patient or the client is in, yeah. also, and what they're going to be open to. Yeah. And sometimes you have to work towards getting to this. It's not you know usually hypnosis for IBS is not the first thing that I'll. That, that I'll mention, but yeah. it, it is, but, you know, some people are more open it, to it than others. And honestly, there's been, you know, we've had some pretty good, pretty good um, results from, from using it. Yeah. And so for, I, I know that there's, there's also a, a, a challenge for people who are taking gender affirming hormones mm-hmm. as well. So can you, can you talk about that? There are some health related things that maybe they're, they're not aware of, or even a lot of the medical community might, may not know about. Yeah, yeah. So especially for um, um, trans women who are taking gender affirming um, estrogen in order to, uh, you know, to, you know, develop a more, you know, feminine um, appearance, that the estrogen can actually increase um, risk for um, breast cancer is probably one of the the biggest things that most, um, you know, so men, cis cis male, that they don't, you know, there is still risk for breast cancer in men. However, Um, it is not quite as much as um, as women, and a lot of it is driven by by the estrogen. Okay. Um, so so that's something to also pay attention to. So you know, there's is just um, just understanding the the screening tests and knowing of what tests to to order. Yeah. You know, I you know it's you know I think it's important in, in part of the interviewing process that I do with patients, um, and also it, it helps create an affirming safe um, space is to ask questions that, um, you know, what was the, um, you know, what was the sex that you were assigned at birth? Okay. And, um, you know, currently, what is your gender? What is, you know, so it just sort of understanding, because if you're, if you were born, um, you know, assigned female at birth, you will have, you know, female anatomy that we do still have to be aware of. And, you know, so there are um, trans men that I have to screen for cervical cancer. So, um, so but it's just being aware of that. And so understanding it's, it gets a little bit, it gets a little bit complicated and that's why being open and yeah. having these discussions is, is, is important. Yeah. And, you know, there, and it also, the LGBTQ community, especially, um, women, lesbian women 
um, tend not to come in for a lot of their their healthcare screening. And so that 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 what I mentioned the the cervical cancer screening tends not to get done. Um, the breast cancer screening tends not to get done. And so we actually do see some higher rates of cancer in in women. And it's not because we don't think it's necessarily it's because of their, you know, their their sexual orientation. It's more of the fact that they're just not not getting the health care and the screening that 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 they should yeah. in a timely manner. And, and do, you, do you think that's because of how they they think they'll be perceived in getting care? Potentially, potentially. Again, I think it, it's complicated to know. But I, again, like like I had, as I had mentioned before, just even the access and feeling safe yeah. um, is is something. And also, I think there's also a misconception that uh, you know that because you're um, you know you're a gay woman that you're not going to get cervical cancer, you're not going to get HPV, but that, that it can still happen. And so some some of it just might be disregarding that this is an important test but gotcha. the guidelines are no matter you, you know what your sexual orientation is you know who your partners are we still do want to screen for for hpv there's there's no change in the recommendations if you're if you're gay or if you're straight yeah and as is i've been wondering about this too because i i see it a little bit in my practice when I, now that i've been working with some of these kind of tween to the young teenagers is this that and, and I'm sure this happens at at older ages as well, when when they when people are kind of starting to question you know what their orientation is or how how they identify, and they're going to try on a, 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 some different things for themselves to kind of figure that out. And so you know some parents uh, are really good about this. You know if it's a boy who wants to wear a fingernail polish or a girl who wants to cut all her hair off or something. Um, but is, is there, is there anything that you, you know, can, can tell us about your experience with that and, and the way that you kind of talk to parents about this situation or, or even just talking to adolescents about it? Yeah, I think just, uh, you know, again, it's a complicated, um, situation because there can be a lot of, um, family dynamics, um, at play. And so, so yeah, you know, but I think that we also know that, um, that parents that do support their, their children and adolescents, um, and teenagers, you know, especially if they're, um, questioning, um, if you, the more support you get from, from family, um, the, the less depression, the, the suicide rate is much lower. There's, there's a lot of just amazing benefits. So something that I, I really, try to strive for is to try to encourage uh, parents if if they're open enough to it just to um, you know trust in the process and really just try to support their child yeah. Yeah. through this yeah. it's uh, you know it's it's there, there can be difficult conversations it's not that this is going to be easy but I have to say that more and more parents I'm finding are um, at least maybe it's in, the, in you know the, the population that I'm uh, that I'm I'm working with. They, they, there's a lot of acceptance yeah. and a lot of a lot of openness and a lot of wanting to support their children, which is fantastic. Yeah. But I also see a lot more children and adolescents questioning yeah. and coming out and just you know maybe trying on a, a different gender or you know it's just and I think it's such it's a time for exploration. I think it's such a normal. That's uh, that. That's the way I address it too. Is, yeah, is that this? Yeah. You know, th- there will be a process here, no matter what 
mm-hmm. you know they they decide to do with their lives. This Absolutely. is just one. This is yeah. just one piece of of that. And so, and and I I, I have a ten year old daughter who's you know I've just been having some conversations with about it, who's yeah. asking me questions about it. And so, and I think partly because you know you have a month devoted to it, and people are starting to talk about it a little bit more. And so she has a lot of questions. And you know I just try to I just try to be present and you know talk about my experiences and you know also that. I think we all kind of exist on a certain spectrum that mm-hmm. culturally we're not as comfortable accepting, <laughs> but I, th- to me, that's, that's, you know, especially living in, in, in big cities where you were, you know, people who have, you know, come from rural areas who have struggled with these challenges. I've gotten to meet and work with yeah. a lot of these people. So. Again, it's very different. Like I was saying, I, I work outside of DC. And so a lot of the, you know, a lot of people I'm working with are, are probably, you know, a little bit more used to these ideas. Yeah. They've been exposed to that. It's something that, you know, but it's, it, it can be very different depending on the, the community that you're coming from. And that's, you know, that, that can be a very, very challenging situation. Yeah. Do you, do you have any suggestions for anyone who is, is LGBTQ and may, you know, be feeling like they haven't been getting care, they, you know, mm-hmm. depends on what their age is, um, that, that, that they may feel like they have some health challenges or they didn't do certain screenings that they should, where to kind of, you know, first steps for them? I think, you know, first is, you know, looking, do they have a, a primary care doctor? Do they have somebody that, 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 they, that they usually go to? And if they feel comfortable and safe, yeah. going and you know maybe asking uh, you know just scheduling that that physical that they haven't had in right, six right. years or whatever it is you know just taking the first step and just saying yeah i didn't realize that there could be screening tests or there's things that i might be missing so just recognizing that but then you know the issue is is that either you don't have a primary doctor or the one that you're seeing you, you don't necessarily feel comfortable so then and then so it's a process because I think it is so important to work with somebody that you feel safe with, that you feel that you can that you can talk to. Yeah. And whether it is talking to other friends in the community about um, doctors and or providers that they see that they like, um, that 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 are open, I think that that's that's important. And then you know a lot of other um, you know practices are starting to you know you know place the rainbow flag on their website or. Uh, you know, even, even in their waiting room and just, yeah. you know, just being able to find, a, you know, a practice if that, you know, that, that has that, if that's important to you um, and if that's going to help you get the care that you need to have yeah. that safe environment, then I think, you know, it's, it, you can find it. Do, do you know if there are any national um, kind of organizations or, or places that have a health, you know, uh, kind of resource list or any, anything like that? You know, I'm not sure if there is. I know that um, PFLAG, um, I love that organization. They, a lot of times there is sort of a regional. Um, okay, have, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they'll, they'll sometimes they'll list, um, you know, doctors that, um, you know, that are, you know, affirming. Um, sometimes also, you know, doctors that do, um, you know, hormone um, affirming therapies. And, you know, so there are a lot of resources through um, PFLAG. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, sadly, a lot of this is, um, you know, almost like a word of mouth, kind of like the underground, <laughs> like, yeah. where, where can you find the, the support that you need? But, you know, we're just, we're working to try to make it more mainstream and right. something that, that, that that's more included, yeah. you know, and I have to say, you know, I went to medical school in, let's see, I started in 98, so 98 to 2002. I don't think I had any instruction about taking care of the LGBTQ community, yeah. not a single 
uh, lecture or anything. Yeah. And so I think that it also has to start at the, you know, the earliest level of training and making sure that vulnerable communities and the LGBTQ community are I- incorporated. That's, yeah. you know, an early education. Yeah. And, and I feel like even for parents who have a, a, a child who's sort of questioning or, you know, tr- starting to explore, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a great point to just have a therapist to try to find someone in, in mental health that they can just, you know, bounce things off of. Because in in a way, I, I this is the way I think about it as a parent is like I I, I want to be I don't want I want to be the parent I I don't want to be trying to like manage my children's mental health, even though I know a lot I I feel like I want that to be a separate relationship mm-hmm. and and a confidential relationship in in many ways, and because as you know as my kids get older, you know. I'm going to be de- developing a different kind of relationship with them as as adult children too, and I want to make sure that that becomes something that's that wasn't a conflict in those years. Exactly. Yeah. No. It's it's always hard. You know. I um, you know being a family medicine doctor, I have kids too. I have I have two sons, twelve and fourteen, and I've made a point not to be their doctor because yeah. <laughs> because I, I I feel like I'm their mother first, right? And you've got yeah. that emotional my my reaction to anything that's going on with them first is emotional. It's yeah. not necessarily the you know the the clinical, which is the way I approach you know other patients that are a little bit you know that are not my children. Yep. Yep. So yeah. No. No. It's. Yeah, you know, it's important just to find that that support um, community, and don't don't, and it doesn't have to all be on your shoulders. I mean, you, you you're an important part of that support community, but um, you you don't have to do it all. Yeah. One thing I found here, I, I do some specific work with a, a sex therapist who does a lot of work with this community, and I think part mm-hmm. of the reason is because they've probably identified the fact that if this person's comfortable talking about anything about sex, they're probably comfortable talking about anything that this, <laughs> that may be coming up in terms of sexual health or mm-hmm. even relationship challenges. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah, can be one of those. I mean, I'm just trying to kind of think about any, any ways to help lead people to, to some resource when they're, when they're struggling with this stuff too. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, hopefully you're going to have a, a, a doctor that, you know, that, that will ask, um, you know, the right questions as well and, um, do the right screening test. I mean, getting a, um, a physical is, is really important. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you don't think a whole lot is done at a physical, but honestly, there, there's, there's so much screening or it should be a whole lot of screening that happens. I mean, not only, you know, we talked about the mental health part, but also substance abuse. And I don't think we've, we've touched on this a whole lot either, but the substance abuse is also something that, that we see a lot more of in the LGBTQ um, community. Community. And yeah. so, you know, doing screening for that. But usually there's so many layers with the, the substance abuse a lot of times is can be a um, kind of a coping mechanism yeah, or, exactly. you know, a self self treatment for underlying anxiety and depression. Yeah. And it just almost so, always. Yeah. So there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and pro- the other thing I'd say is, um, you know, just d- be honest be yeah. honest. I mean, you're, you're not gonna, um, you know, the, the, it, it's hard, you know, if you aren't going to be honest with your doctor about, you know, how much you're drinking or, I mean, it also, you know, but you also have to ask the right questions that, you know, I can ask a patient how much they're drinking, but then a follow-up question will be like, well, have you ever thought that that might be too much? Or have yeah. you ever thought that, you know, have your friends thought that, you know, that there might be a problem? So asking things, in that way, yeah. sometimes helps you think about it in a little bit different way. Yeah, and and as patients, one of the things I always suggest 
to people who are seeking a new kind of provider. So this is kind of across the board is, you know, if, if you're trying to find someone who you feel that you want to make sure that they're comfortable with LGBTQ issues, you interview the you interview your medical people. Ask the ask them the direct question that you want to know about, both in terms of what is their expertise in treating, you know, what mm-hmm. you have or working with the with your population, whatever that might be. Yep, absolutely. I mean, you just you know you have to become an advocate for yourself. Yeah. Somewhat when you're trying to find a doctor, try and find anybody. Yeah. Unfor- you know, working with anything. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Yeah, I feel like it's 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 the one thing that I do. That's that's part of the reason I, I'm so picky about who is my <laughs> whatever whatever it is, if it's an acupuncturist or whatever. I I usually come out of the gate with a couple of really strong things because I how they respond to those things right away tells me if they can handle a challenge or that kind of stuff. And yeah. if they if they pass that right away, I'm usually sold. So. Aligned. I mean, this is somebody. This is somebody that you're working with, not right. working against. Right. I'm and trying to build a team. Usually, you know, like think about it exactly, that way. Exactly. It's it's really important to to have that, that, that. You know, have open communication. I think being able to feel that you can communicate, but but again, that you're also aligned on yeah. on the direction that you're going. Yeah. Are you are you are you doing any kind of speaking? Are you doing any kind of videos? Do you do any social media stuff for your work? <laughs> Well, so I've started, um, uh, we've started a podcast, actually, a colleague and I have started one. We've, um, we haven't dropped any episodes yet, but we have probably about eight or nine of them recorded and they're being Oh, edited. great. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's really, really fun. It's called Living, Breathing Medicine. Okay. And it's basically what we're doing is just we're talking with other healthcare providers, other doctors. Um, it's a lot of storytelling yeah. on, um, you know, looking at the human side of medicine and the experience that we've had with patients and Cases. how we can make Pardon me. Like cases that you've worked with, or it, it, it can be it can be cases. We'll start with that, but usually it turns into um, just how what is good medicine yeah. and how we can achieve that, and yeah. also exploring um, compassion in yeah. medicine a yeah. little bit more. So yeah. that's we're just trying to get down kind of underneath it all. It's um, but but a lot of it's through storytelling, which is which is really really fun. I mean, yeah. doctors are actually really good storytellers, and if you get a couple of doctors or healthcare providers in a room together. I mean, there, there could be some pretty amazing, yeah. amazing stories and just, you know, just, yeah, but we're trying to explore more compassion in medicine. Yeah. So, so that's something we're doing. I've been doing um, a little bit more writing, um, writing a couple of um, different blogs. Okay. I've been, you know, um, I think I'm interviewed for a couple of different articles. So just, you know, kind of working at um, getting, getting information out there. I think it, it's great to be able to reach beyond the exam room for yeah. me. Um, yeah. You know, just beyond reaching beyond the patients that I see in the, in the exam room. I like to. Yeah, me too. I mean, that's part of the reason I started this in the first place. I've yeah. been, I've been very fortunate to have the practice that I have. And I know there are a lot of people who don't have access to, you know, care providers like us. <laughs> so, yeah, I know, know. I know. I know. Exactly. And so if, you know, if you can, you know, connect, Somehow, yeah. you know, I think I think that's so great because there's a lot of you know great information that I think we can share, and also just work to empower people to yeah. um, to to really um, you know be kind to themselves and 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 you find the people and work with people that they that you know that they deserve. Yeah, I love it. Well, I'm 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 thankful to be connected to you, and I'll I'll, I'll put up links for all the things that you have going on right now too, so people sure, can kind of sure. check yeah, in. Sure, sure. Yeah, I can I can send it. 
send stuff to you as well if you want. Okay, that's 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 fantastic. And and I, you know, part of part of what I'm doing with this project is also you know starting to kind of work on uh, the having having a guest page for all the people who are on the podcast, so that if if people are starting to look for resources, are starting to look for re- resources in parts of the country that they can yeah. find them. So yeah. so you you will be uh, you will be on there, and one of my good referrals for out there too. So that's that's great to have. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Happy to happy to chat more about anything. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thanks okay. so much for doing this with me. All right. No problem. Thanks. Great to meet you, Jeremy. Likewise. Okay. Bye. Dr. Cecily Habert, folks. What's important at the start of a new patient care provider relationship is the sense of safety and the ability to be honest with each other. One thing that too often gets lost in the overwhelm from both sides is seeing the individual sitting right in front of you. We too often project a story that is almost never true. The more true the story is that we get, the better the outcome will be. I'm so impressed with the way Cecily is working with these populations, and it's a model for the way we should be thinking about care, and it's what we should demand as patients. All of us should be receiving care at this level for the monthly premiums we pay. Premium means primary and exceptional. So if you're sitting in an office with a provider who's not listening to you, not curious, not considering your story, find a new provider. There are plenty of great docs out there like Cecily. And be proactive. Don't wait until you have a health challenge to find your care team. Doing this will minimize the stress and anxiety that is inevitable in a crisis. Let me know what you thought of this topic in conversation. You can reach out to me anytime through the contact page of our website, highway2.health. That's highwayto.health. And if you'd like to watch us have this conversation, head over to Highway to Health podcast channel on YouTube. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Nurse Wellness Podcast, hosted by Wendy Garvin Mayo, focuses on the power of stress management and how it's foundational to being your best, doing your best, and giving your best. There's a wonderful episode that you should check out called Letting Go, where Wendy Garvin Mayo shares six strategies to release control and manage stress effectively. Check out Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.